Hi there, and welcome to Vineyard Church Delaware County's podcast. My name is Michael Hansen. I'm the lead pastor here at the church, and I am so glad that you have joined us for this week's message. I'm going to have a little bit more to say at the end, but for now, enjoy the teaching. It's really good to be with you all this morning. Welcome to those of you again joining us online as well. Uh, I don't know about you, but now that it's December, we are full-blown Christmas mode in our house. Like, you know, everything's about getting ready for Christmas. And, and, and during this season of getting ready for Christmas in the church, we call that Advent. We call that Advent. The, um, the four weeks leading up to Christmas, the word Advent comes from the Latin word Adventus. Michael talked about this last week, meaning the coming or the arrival. Specifically, it means we're talking about the coming or the arrival of Jesus, of him being born. And last week, Michael kicked off this series that we're going to be doing during these couple weeks leading up to Christmas, our Advent series, where we're we're looking at a a number of psalms in the Bible, psalms in the Bible. And to put it simply, the psalms were the songs of the Jewish people. It was their hymn book of worship to God. But if you were to turn to the book of Psalms in your Bible, you might think to yourself, what does this have to do with Christmas? I mean, the book of Psalms is hundreds of pages before the pages that talk about Jesus' birth. It's occurring that when they were written, were probably written hundreds of years before uh, Jesus' birth. So how do the Psalms connect with Christmas? Well, I like how Courtney Reisig put it. She wrote this. The Psalms have been a comfort to God's people since this first song book was put to parchment. They were the songs of ancient Israel as they were forced into exile and longed for their return. They all lived thousands of years before us, but they too were waiting for Christ to come. And in their waiting, they sang of their experience. They sang of their questions. They sang of their sorrows. They sang of their hope. They sang while they were waiting for Christ to come. They sang while they were waiting for Christmas. The Psalms are pointer signs to Jesus, which is why it's a perfect topic to explore as we're pointing and looking ahead to the the day of Christmas and the birth of Jesus. Each Psalm that we're gonna be looking at in this series is also gonna have a different theme or an attribute that points towards Christ, towards Christmas. And last weekend, Michael looked at Psalm 89, which is a Psalm all about love all about God's loyal love, his chased, if you felt like you were getting spit on last week, chased love, as he talked about. Uh, And what better way for God to express his love for us than to send his son Jesus to be with us? And this weekend, we're we're gonna flip it. We're gonna flip it. Instead of looking at Psalm 89, we're actually gonna look at Psalm 98 and talk about the theme of joy, the theme of joy, the joy that comes with Jesus. So, Let's, let's take a minute and pray and just invite God to be with us even more than he already is. So Heavenly Father, um, well, first off, Lord, I just, I thank you for the brunch yesterday. I thank you for all the ladies that were here and all the ladies that helped and served, all the men that helped serve. But I thank you for all the ladies who came and maybe encountered you for the first time ever. Just pray that there would be seeds planted in them, uh, that you would water and nurture and grow uh, into something amazing. So we just, we thank you for the brunch yesterday. And, And Lord, to you, we thank you just that we can all be together this morning, those of us joining online. Thank you that you are the giver of joy. 
You are the personification of joy. You are the reason for our joy. I pray we would experience your joy together today. Amen, amen. So Psalm 98, like I mentioned, we're gonna be looking at this Psalm. And if you have a Bible or phone, you wanna get to it, that'd be great. If not, we'll have it up on the screens. And Michael said this last weekend, but remember the Psalms, because they're songs, they're lyrics that were meant to be sung. We don't know the melodies of how these songs are supposed to go, so we're not gonna sing it together, but I do wanna read it together. I think there's something powerful about thinking about how these would have been said and sung together. So, so I wanna invite you to join and read this aloud together with me. So verse one, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of singing. With trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn, shout for joy before the Lord, the King. Let the sea resound and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity. Great, you guys did a great job. Even though I messed up, you did a great job. So as we look at this Psalm, there are a few overall things I just kind of want to point out first. We see that this song is a song right? It's, it's poetic. It's written like lyrics. Uh, there are three fairly evenly spaced stanzas, with each with three verses that are chunked together very poetically. And second, though, I, I want to point out that the psalm, it's a little bit vague in what it's referring to. I mean, it's talking about God doing something marvelous, something wonderful, but it doesn't specifically say, you know, exactly what that was. Some have argued it might have been written after a great military victory that God won for the people of Israel and that it was written in response to that. Others have argued that maybe it was written as they were coming in, out of exile and getting to return home uh, because that's kind of where it was surrounded by other Psalms that are similar to that. In the seventh century BC, the Babylonians came into Israel and they conquered Israel and they defeated them and they took the, all the Israelites off with them to Babylon. And for 70 years, the Israelites lived in Babylon and weren't allowed to return. But eventually they, they did return to Israel. And so this Psalm could have been written in response to that, God bringing them back. But, but either way, it seems God has done something mighty and marvelous to save the people of Israel, to save them. And this Psalm was written in response to that event. We also see the theme of joy and the effects of joy written all throughout this Psalm. In fact, each stanza seems to take us just another level further into the impact of, of God's joy and the impact that can have on us and the world. So I wanna look at each stanza a little bit further just to, to kind of look at that, 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 those different levels of going into that joy. So the first stanza talks about how the Israelites should sing this new joyful song, but, but why? Why? And that's the first point. Why should we sing this new joyful song? Let me, let me reread verse one and through three to you. You don't have to say it out loud though this time. 
Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Now, when something big happens, when something inspires humanity, we often write about it and we often write songs about it. And this was very customary for the Israelite people. In the Old Testament part of the Bible, often when God would do something miraculous, something marvelous, the people would be so filled with joy that they would respond by singing, oftentimes spontaneously singing this new song of celebration. We see it over and over and over again throughout the Bible. In Exodus, in Exodus, when, when God parts the Red Sea, if you're familiar with that story, when God parts the Red Sea and the people leave Egypt, they leave slavery behind and they go across to the other side and they're, they're free, they're a free people now, the people respond by singing. They respond by singing a new song. When, when David defeats Goliath and he and Saul and all of Israel's warriors, they go back home, they return from battle. You know what the people, they come out of the city, you know what they do? They start singing. They start singing a song of celebration. It happens over and over and over again in the Old Testament. But it also happens in the New Testament as well. In Luke 1, when Mary has recently found out that she's pregnant with baby Jesus, one of the first things she does is she runs off to visit with her cousin Elizabeth, who happens to also be miraculously pregnant with, with little, little John. Uh, but when Elizabeth hears Mary's voice that she's coming. She's like, she's been traveling there. She's like at the door. She hears Mary's greeting. Look at what Elizabeth says happens. It says this in Luke 1, Elizabeth says, when I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. Elizabeth's baby in her womb jumped for joy. This is such an exciting, marvelous, amazing, miraculous thing God has done. Mary, you are, you are pregnant with the chosen one, the Messiah, you know, the Savior, Jesus. It's the biggest of big deals, so much so that little John is doing gymnastics in his mom's belly, right? But do you know what happens immediately after that? Do you know what happens immediately after that in the story? It turns into a musical. Mary breaks out in spontaneous song. I don't know if she does that, but she does. She starts singing. She starts singing this new song of God's amazing love and faithfulness in the next few verses. All throughout the Bible, when God has done something marvelous, when God has done something miraculous, the people respond by singing this new joyful song of celebration. And what is the theme about all those marvelous things that God does? What's the theme? It always is about their salvation. They're always singing because God has saved them in some way. Verse two, again, the Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. In the Psalm, the people have experienced God's amazing salvation in some way. He's remembered them and he saved them for all the world to see. And we see that ultimately fulfilled with the coming of Jesus at Christmas. That what that is now set in motion, that Jesus would come, live among us, teach us, um, 
but ultimately that he would save us by dying on the cross for us, right? And then resurrecting. And all of this is our reason for why we are to sing a new joyful song to the Lord. But then the question is not why, it's how. How are we to sing this song? Well, the second stanza, verses four through six, address that. How are we to sing this new joyful song? Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of singing, with trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn. Shout for joy before the Lord, the King. How are we to sing? Joy to the world. Grumbling? No, we are to shout for joy. Shout for great joy. We are to use music and instruments, harps and trumpets and horns were the instruments of their day and age. We just happen to have keyboards and drums and guitars and kazoos. Okay, not kazoos. Why did the, why, when, why did the kazoo never make it? It's probably because it's really annoying. <laughs> but, uh, but we use instruments, right? We sing, we shout joy before the Lord, the King, it says in verse six. The language here of shouts of joy before the king is found similarly in other places in the Bible. Anytime a new king was elevated to the throne, the joy expressed in this psalm foreshadows what happens when King Jesus is first born. You know, in the book of Luke, again, outside the town of Bethlehem, on the night Jesus was born, there were shepherds in the field tending the flocks. And all of a sudden, an angel appears to them. And look what he says to them. He says, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great what? Great joy. Great joy for all the people. Today in the town of Bethlehem, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God, saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those in whom his favor rests. The angel tells the shepherds that, hey, big news, big news. The Messiah is born right, right down there in the town of Bethlehem. They were probably just right outside the, outside the town. And there was such an outpouring of joy that heaven literally opened up. And the shepherds could see the angels. This great company, it's actually an army. This, the language is an army of angels. An army of angels appears. And, and what's their weapon? It's not a sword, you know, or a bow or anything like that. It's their voices. It's their voices shouting and praising to God, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace to those whom his favor rests. They start worshiping in unison with one voice. It's their voices. The psalm goes on in the third stanza to not only talk about angels or humans worshiping, but all of creation worshiping as well, showing the immense extent of this joyful song. And that's the third point that, that we see occurring in this final part of the psalm, the extent of singing this new joyful song. Verse seven, let the sea resound and everything in it the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity. Here we see that even creation sings out. The sea reverbs. The rivers clap their hands. 
The mountains will sing together for what? For joy, for joy, because the Lord has come. The King has come. And this is how far of an impact the joy uh, that will come with the coming of the King. Later in the scriptures, Jesus reiterates this very truth. Again, in the book of Luke, Jesus, at this point in the story, he's grown up. He spent the last few years going around preaching and teaching about the kingdom of God. He's been demonstrating the kingdom of God through miracles, signs, and wonders. And he's coming into the city of Jerusalem for the very last time. For the very last time he's coming in, and it's a few days before he's gonna die on the cross. And he comes in riding on a donkey. It's a, it's a story we often talk, around, talk about around Easter. But, but in that story, there's an amazing way that the people respond. They are so overjoyed, they begin to sing aloud. Look at what it says, Luke 19. When he, Jesus, came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now watch what's happening. This, this part, next part's interesting. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. But Jesus says, I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. The stones will cry out. Look at that. Psalm 98 being enacted right then and there. The people are so filled with joy, they begin singing and worshiping and praising King Jesus because their salvation has come. It has come, and that's the only way they know how to respond in their joy. But the Pharisees are upset. They don't like it. And so they tell Jesus, why don't you make them to stop? But what does Jesus say? He says, hey, if I make them stop, even creation will start singing. Even the rocks will start singing. Even the stones will raise their voices in harmony. Jesus, who would have had Psalm 98 memorized, knew that even if the people stopped singing, creation would start. And that's because this joy, this level of joy, this immense joy is not containable. It's not containable. This, it stretches beyond humanity into all creation to experience. This outpouring of joy at the advent of Christ, at the coming of Christ, cannot be held back, should not be held back. So, so what, do we, what do we do with this today? What does this mean for us today? Well, I believe it means that we should expect to experience joy, the joy of Christ at Christmas. We should expect it. We should look for it. We should long for it. We should pray for it and we should receive it. We should receive it. But what if it seems to have eluded us? What if life circumstances and challenges have distracted us or robbed us of our joy? What if right now, how can I sing a new song and sing joyfully to the Lord right now with everything I'm going through if I don't have a whole lot of joy in my life? Well, two things, two things. One, one thing we see right here in this psalm. The psalmist says uh, that we are to remember the marvelous things God has done. We are to remember the marvelous things that God has done. That's the first verse, right? He says, specifically, what's the most marvelous thing God has done? He's, he saved you, your salvation. It's to remember the joy of your salvation. Remember the joy of your salvation. You know, for those of you who are Christians in the room, do you remember 
Do you remember what it felt like the first time you realized it was all real? Do you remember what it felt like at the beginning when you realized God is real and he loves you and he died for you and that you're forgiven and that you can have this new life? Do you remember that feeling of joy, of joy? I've told this story a number of times, but when I was 13 years old and I, you know, pimply faced, awkward, you know, lanky kid, still lanky, never grew out of that. Uh, but I was at, one day I was um, at church, my parents' church, a very traditional church that I grew up in. I was sitting in the front pew with my friends and we were goofing off, let's just be honest. We were goofing off kind of quietly because we didn't want to get in trouble later, but we were, I wasn't really paying attention. We were just goofing off. And I don't remember what happened exactly at the beginning or what the priest was saying, but at some point I, I kind of uh, started to listen, pay a little bit more attention. And, and I just remember at that point, I, I had this conversation with God in my head. Um, I don't remember the exact words, but it went something like this. It was like, Lord, I'm sorry, I've been goofing off. <laughs> uh, and I wanna take you more seriously in my life. And, and I don't want this to just be like a game I play where I just show up every Sunday and it's a, this is all about just a bunch of do's and don'ts and rules. If you're real, if you really are real, I want, will you show me that? If you really are real, will you be personal to me? Can I have a personal relationship with you? I don't know what that looks like, but could you, could you show me what that would look like? And I'll never forget. It was like in that moment, like I felt this awake come upon me. And it wasn't an oppressive weight or a super like pushing down weight. It was the way I would describe it. It was like the weight of my father's hands on the back of my shoulders. My father's big hands resting on my shoulders. Like if he was standing right behind me. And it was like, God was saying, I am right here. I'm with you. It was the first time I ever felt something of his presence or felt that he was with me. And, and I knew in that moment that it was true, that he was real and that he was with me and that he loved me and that I could know him. And, and I was so filled with joy in that moment. It had to come out in some way. It had to come out in some way. I don't think I could have spoke if I wanted to speak, but it had to come out in some way. So it came out my eyeballs. I just started sobbing. I know that's a shocker for many of you. I just started crying, crying, just tears of joy, just tears of joy. And I remember my friends were looking at me like, what is wrong with you? We were just goofing off like two minutes ago. Now you're crying. Like I couldn't even put it into words, but I knew he was real. When we meet God, when we meet God and we realize how loved and how saved we are, one of the things that we often experience is this outpouring and overflowing of joy on us. The joy of, of the beginning, at the beginning. If you're here today or you're watching online and you haven't experienced a lot of joy lately in your life, I wanna encourage you to remember your salvation. Remember your salvation. Remember what it felt like at the beginning in the early days of knowing that you were loved by God like that in a personal way. 
Remember what it felt like to really understand and comprehend that Jesus came to this earth. He was born at Christmas so that he could grow up and die on the cross and save you of your sins and give you new life. Remember what that felt like. Remind yourself of that truth and then be refilled with that joy, that overflowing joy from God. That's the first thing we can do. That's the first thing we can do. And the second thing is very similar. It's stay close to him. It's stay close to him. You know, in the book of Matthew, when we read about the Christmas story in Matthew, we read the story of the Magi, these wise men who, who come from a really far away distant land. They, they study the stars and they realize that a new king has been born in Israel. And so they decide to travel from far, far away and to go and, see, and meet him and see him. And what does it say when they, when they get close? What happens when they get close? Matthew 2, 10 and 11, it says, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child was with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and they worshiped him. Now, when it says when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. It's not talking about when they saw the star from you know, hundreds of miles away or however far away it was. It wasn't talking about that. It wasn't talking about when they saw it far off. It's talking about when they saw the star and where the star was leading them to. Finally, they had arrived to this place that they had been journeying for. They finally saw the star overhead the stable where Jesus was. And they thought the king is right there. We're, 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 right, we're in close proximity to him. It's when they get close to Jesus that that's when joy hits them. It's when they get close to him and they get in close proximity to him, physically close to him, that's when they encounter the joy. And what's interesting is if you think about all the people, all the people that we've been talking about today who met Jesus as an infant, when is it that they get joy? It's when they get close to him. John, little baby John in the womb, when he gets close, and Elizabeth, when they get close to Mary, Mary comes to the door, that's when they experience joy. It's when the, the angels, the shepherds, when, they're, when, they, when Jesus has been born in the town right there and they get close to him, that's when they experience joy. There's something about proximity to Jesus, about getting close with him that we experience joy. Put yourself in close proximity to Jesus and keep doing it. And if you do, Jesus says, you will experience joy, not just a little bit of joy, but totality of joy, complete joy. And it's a promise. He actually promises this to his disciples. In John 15, there's this famous passage where Jesus says, I want you to remain in me. I want you to abide in me. I want you to stay close to me. And look at what he says in verse nine. He says, as the father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that my joy may be complete, complete. Remain in me, abide in me, stay close to me. And my joy will be in you and your joy will be now complete. It will be maxed to the brim, maxed to the brim. Yes, amen, yes, that's a good thing. <laughs> now, nowhere in this passage where Jesus is talking about their level of joy, nowhere in this passage does he say it has anything to do with your life circumstances. Nowhere in this passage does he say it has to do if your life's going well or not going well. If your life is stressful or 
stress-free, if your life is easy or difficult, nowhere does he talk about that. You know, this holiday season, we will all be busy, right? We will all have white elephant gift exchanges for work and shopping lists to, to do and uh, uh, lights to hang and cookies to bake and decorate, or in my case, eat. I can eat a lot of cookies. It doesn't seem to affect me. Uh, <laughs> I know I'm a freak of nature. Uh, so many distractions, right, that can unintentionally steal our joy. But if we remember our salvation, and if we remember to stay in close proximity to Jesus, our level of joy will increase and will fill to the max. Whether your life circumstances are positive or not right now, doesn't matter. Your joy has nothing to do with your current life circumstances, nothing. It has everything to do with the level of proximity to Jesus and how close you are putting yourself to him. Now, I don't know if this is true for you, but it's definitely been true in my own life. There have been seasons in my life where my life circumstances have been great, easy. Things just seem to be going well, right? No, no troubles, no worries. And yet I've experienced little joy in some of those seasons because in some of those times I, I allowed myself to drift from proximity to Jesus. You know, my, my prayer life was sparse or impersonal. My time in reading the Bible was irregular. You know, my, my time of worshiping, whether it's in the car, in my house, singing worship music was just didn't happen very often. And yet, and it was in those times I didn't experience a lot of joy. And yet on the other hand, I've had times where I've been in very difficult seasons and trials, and yet I've had great joy because I've spent lots of time with Jesus in those seasons. Your joy has nothing to do with your current life circumstances. It has everything to do with your proximity to Jesus. So like the psalmist says, let us remember the marvelous things that God has done as we prepare for the coming of Christ in the next couple of weeks. Let us remember our salvation. And like the wise men and the shepherds and the angels and little John, uh, let's put ourselves in close proximity to Jesus as often as we can so that no matter what happens in our lives right now or in the coming weeks, whether it's easy or difficult, stressful or stress-free, we too can experience the fullness of joy in him, in Jesus. And he will make our joy complete complete. Amen? Amen. All right, I'm going to invite the worship team up, and I want to end by telling you this, this cool story. Um, as I was preparing uh, for this sermon, I was doing some research, and one of the things I learned was that in the early 1700s, there was an English hymnist named Isaac Watts, who one day was, was reading this psalm, Psalm 98, and he was inspired by the first few lyrics to, to write his own song to write his own song, a new song to the Lord. And he jotted down this, the, this, this song based and inspired by Psalm 98, and it became a Christmas song. You probably never heard of it. It's called Joy to the World. <laughs> he wrote Joy to the World inspired by this song. If you look at some of the lyrics, you'll see how similar it is. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. And heaven and nature sing. Talking about nature would sing. 
while fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. In the wonders of his love, the wonders, the marvelous things that God has done, the marvelous things, the wonders. So as I was reading this and researching this and found this out, I thought, oh man, wouldn't it be awesome to right after the message, to go into worship and to sing this song, Joy of the World. But I knew that they had this set list probably already planned and they've been practicing and, and I didn't know kind of, you know, what, what they had planned out. And so I, I reached out to Jonathan, our worship pastor. I knew Scott was going to be leading and Lindsay and the, the team, but I reached out to Jonathan and I just said, Hey, God, is this too much to ask? Could we maybe like do joy to the world as we go into worship? I just found out it's what I'm going to be talking about. And he just smiled and he pulled out his phone and he showed me the set list that they already had planned to sing Joy to the World at this point. They had no idea I was doing, no idea I was preaching on Psalm 98, no idea I was preaching on this, the theme of joy at all. They didn't know, I didn't know, somebody knew. He knew, he knew. So yeah, I think that's so cool. So let's stand up together, let's worship. Well. Thanks so much for joining us today. I hope that what you heard has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. For more information and to contact us, go to vcdc.org. We'll bless you. Have a wonderful week.